on the screen, I thought about it, how biblical they are. Even that song we just sang, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And I remembered how the, the Bible records how the Pharisees accused Jesus of eating and fellowshipping and going into sinners' houses. And um, so truly he lived up to that statement. He's a friend of sinners. And thank God he is um, exactly that. It's not that he's not holy. It's not that he's not awesome. But it's that the most amazing characteristic of God, when you stop and really think about it, is that he's humble. You know, it's hard to be humble when you're that awesome. But he makes it look easy. He's he's perfect at it. We often read in Philippians where it says, God humbled himself, didn't think of it as a thing to be grasped, his deity, though he was found in the form of God, he did not clutch on to. King James says robbery, but it's, it's a grasping like a robber steals something. He didn't think it was a thing to be clutched. Oh, I can't give up my deity and go down there and become a man. No, he let that go. He left the glory he had with his father, and he came down here at the perfect time and entered into the womb of Mary and became totally human. Not half man, half God. Totally human. And he could, he could feel our pain. Though he, he never disobeyed his father, even to the point of death on a cross, that becomes, of course, the ultimate humility. To have your clothes stripped off. Be hung with thieves on a cross on a hill after being judged by man. Wrongfully so. Falsely accused. You know, the only thing it says, and he, he read there in Isaiah, that Christ didn't open his mouth to defend himself. The only thing he admitted to was when they accused him of being the Messiah. And, and he, he said, as you have said, you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And for that, they, they tore their clothes and sent him down the road to Pilate and, and Herod to then be convicted by the Gentiles. And, of course, Pilate found nothing worthy of death and tried to get them to, to crucify Barabbas. Let's, you, you choose who you're going to release today. So the Gentiles and the Jews together had our Lord crucified instead of Barabbas. And there we are. We're at the foot of the cross. Barabbas is not there. Our perfect Lord is there, and we're wondering, where do we stand? 
And then we have that song, Amazing Grace. And as I almost wish we had those words up there, as you read those words, if you find yourself in those words from beginning to end, if you see the value of that amazing grace that first taught your heart to fear, I was going to ask this morning, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And I find the Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, still says to, to the believers he's writing to in the ch- church in Corinth uh, that you, I forget how he says it, ne- never lose the fear, and tr- uh, the fear of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there still is a super respect. So much so that your flesh trembles. It's almost like Isaiah in the temple. I don't belong here because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And these holy angels are saying just that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the temple shakes and the... This incense and smoke comes and fills the temple and the train of his robe comes down there and he's, he sees the coals of fire and he knows he's done for when that angel takes a hot coal and comes towards him. But the angel does something unexpected by Isaiah. He touches his mouth and he says, your, your lips are clean. And then the call goes out, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And so each of us have an opportunity to acknowledge the grace that we we found. We may not have understood the word grace when we got that grace. I didn't. At 25 years old, I thought I was the all-American kid you know, love and life. Here I'd live to be 70 or so. And so 35 years I'd sow my wild oats and then for 35 years I'd get responsible. Had my little plan, had my girlfriend, had my vehicles and uh, my racing bicycles. and, And then somebody confronted me and said, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that. And they looked me right in the eye. And I can't really remember in the previous 25 years having anybody take quite that stand for Jesus Christ. And I I tried to say that's, no, that's not something her mother just taught her to say. Hmm. It really kind of sounds like she knows this Jesus that I've only heard about that supposedly is alive in heaven somewhere. And she's basing her decisions on knowing this person, Jesus Christ. And I respected this person because she treated me with respect as an athlete and and, and all. And, and, And so it was... 
it was important to me that I find out. So I began to find other supposed Christians and ask them what they thought about this and that and another thing in the Bible. Because I didn't want to put my trust and faith in something that was a fad or hypocrisy. I was a hypocrite, but I didn't want to be one. I've never found somebody that likes being a hypocrite. They don't like being told they're hypocrites. The Bible's full of Pharisees that really get rankled. They don't receive from Jesus the, the identification of their hypocrisy with joy and gladness. They gnash their teeth and they pick up rocks to throw at Jesus when he tells them they're a brood of vipers. They're like, they're like a dead man's tomb full of bones, all white on the outside but inside, rotten to the core. They don't like that. And I don't like being called a hypocrite. But thank God the grace of God appeared and showed me I was a hypocrite. He took the scales off my eyes. And so when I see these songs and I read them and they make sense and I go, you know, that's biblical, that's biblical. There'll be a day when the sun does not shine. Though the scientists tell you we've got another million or two, ten million years of sunshine, I happen to know it could be a thousand and seven years from now. I know enough from this book that, that we may start the tribulation with what's going on in the Middle East right now. We're not that far from Armageddon. And the, and the kingdom of God comes at the end of the seven years. The kingdom that this Bible talks about. The king that we say it's all about him. And how true that statement is. It's not all about us. It's awesome that we are who we are in him. Lad in his prayer acknowledged we were chosen before the foundation, before creation. I just read that in the New Testament in Paul's own writings. It's amazing. God had a plan and he has you in the plan if you have believed in Christ. I admit sometimes I'm a little uncomfortable to get up here because we have so much truth and Heidi does such a beautiful job playing the piano while Ben and Andrew sing songs, and they're gifted. And I think they should be the one giving the sermon. I'm rusty. I, I can't put two good sentences together. But then I know of something called an anointing, the anointing of God. And if I ask God, he can use even me. But we are so blessed to be who we are in Christ. I appreciate y'all getting to know Larry and Judy, and they've, they've come back. We have a fellowship here. I miss some that are missing. I really do. Mark and, and um, Craig and, and Nicole used to having them here and others that are missing this morning. But we have, right now this morning out here, we have what I call quality. We may not have the quantity right now, but we have a core of people that are faithful to God. 
And our God is faithful when we're not faithful. He is so faithful to his word foremost. That was something we just sang about. God, we can put the promise of God's word over everything the world and the devil may throw at you. And he can throw a lot. By the way, I I give credit where credit is due. The devil can throw a lot at you. He has a whole bunch of demons, little ones and big ones. You might know the story where Jesus Christ uh, talks to one of his disciples and they come back and, and they have, there's a young boy full of demons and they cannot get the demons out of him. And they've been having a lot of success going out and, and, and healing people and casting demons out. And they come to Jesus and they said, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. And Jesus told them, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now that shows you right there, there's a difference in demons. Some, there's one kind, and then there's another kind. There's little demons, and there's big demons. And Jesus Christ cast them out. Because there's not a demon that was ever a fallen angel that doesn't have to obey him. And they can ask him, is it now our time or not? But he tells them when to go, where to go, and how to do it. That's our Lord. And the point I'm making right there is we are in a war, and sometimes if you're going to stand up and say, I'm the Lord's, and I want to do what the Lord called me to do, and believe what the trust and put my faith in his word, the, the devils are not going to necessarily get out of your way. They're going to come in and hit you with every little shotgun barrel they've got. And they're going to put you through the trials. But God doesn't leave you out there uninformed. His word says you can even rejoice in the trials. It gives an opportunity for you not only to suffer like your Lord did, but for God to show himself even bigger. He's not just a rosy kind of God, only when times are good kind of God. He's a when times are bad kind of God. He's not out of control. Maybe I can fix this. He's totally in control, even of the devil and the demons. So that when they do their best stuff, like crucifying our Lord, when they come together and connive and in the middle of the night drag off the Holy One of Israel and falsely accuse him and send him from one group to the next with a cat of nine tails ripping the flesh off of him, thinking, by the way, Pilate, when he allowed that, oh, I'll appease these people that are accusing him and he'll let them off didn't work. They took that bloody man and they said, crucify him. God even worked that. In fact, I'll go further, he did his best work right there when he allowed our Lord to be butchered and nailed to the cross 
And we read there, it was no surprise to him. He had prophesied it through the prophet Isaiah. It was all part of the plan. And he would redeem you and bring many sons to glory. Sons he would make like the one that was there with him in glory. And that is his best work. And it's the greatest example of when we're under attack, when we've had a really bad day or a really bad week or even a really bad year, and we're down, that we can come together, fellowship around his word, and become victorious, become more than conquerors, Paul says. But I did want to share with you at least one passage. I kind of jump all around in my biblical understanding. But if you would turn with me to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to pray. Lord, help us. We look to you to, our, to get our food, to get our encouragement, to get our unity in the spirit of and your word to get our strength to go from here, Lord, and to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our flesh dwells no good thing, your word clearly says, but you are the one who's able to um, strengthen us and to uh, make us spiritual and not fleshly. We thank you that we can buffet our bodies and uh, tune our minds to you. We thank you for the fact that you have given us your grace and you have taken the scales off of our eyes. And as we sang, you've removed the chains of sin and uh, Satan's power off of us so that we can come and fellowship together and be fed from you. In this we pray. Amen. The great Apostle Paul, as many of you know, was once the great persecutor of the church. I was reading in Acts this week, and um, he was not only satisfied, he wasn't satisfied with just having the people come and lay their coats down while they went and stoned the spirit-filled deacon named Stephen, the first real martyr of the church. A man who told the Jews, like his Lord, like it is. He, he told them their history, and the Jews loved to hear that. But he came to a point where he said, you're just like your fathers, stiff-necked, and you always resist the Holy Spirit. And they gnashed their teeth and they came upon him and they rocked him to sleep. But before he died, like our Lord, he looked up in heaven and saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father and he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And that, of course, reminds you 
of one of the things Jesus prayed when he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So Stephen, a Christ-like example, even to the death, a man named Saul, thinking he's serving God by killing these, um, I guess blasphemers is what he thought they were, false prophets <clears throat> that threatened the religious system he served. But it's in the very next passage, he's not satisfied with that. He's now bringing persecution on all of the church in Jerusalem, and he's going house to house, dragging even women and children out and having them sent to prison. And I thought about, wow, eventually he's going to be in prison for Jesus Christ's sake. But he has to have that grace that we sang about. And on the road to Damascus, he has to have the scales first kind of put on his eyes. He's got to be blinded by the Lord. But he sees enough of the Lord to go, Lord, who are you? And he, he goes, uh, Jesus goes, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Well, I didn't know I was persecuting any lords. You're persecuting my people, so you're persecuting me. That's what's being said. And it's not, it's not good for you to kick against the pricks. The, the, the ox has a plow he's pulling, but if he fights it, there's sticks that are stuck out there. And if he kicks against them, it's going to bloody him up, and he's going to get nowhere. So he better learn, pull the plow I've given you to pull. Don't be kicking off doing your own thing, thinking you're serving me. Jesus, Paul knew what he was being told. And then he told, go into town and you're going to have a man pray for you and, and I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my sake and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, a thing the Jew didn't like to hear back then. Still doesn't. Jesus, by the way, is still considered the Gentile God by the Jews, the, 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 the Orthodox Jew. He, he thinks that uh, we conjured up this person that rose from the dead. We took one of their religious prophets and made him into something he's not. They can still look for their Messiah, but he's not our Messiah. But there, the Bible covers that as well. It clearly says they're going to look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him as though they lost their only son. It's just a, that's a reference we have to kind of get a handle on. How much are they going to mourn? As much as you can mourn when you lose your only son, they're going to go, oh, Lord, what have we done? We really, we really messed up. But they're not lost. They're found when they do that. I was once lost, and now I'm found. The chains are gone. 
the scales are off. Now I see. The Apostle Paul went through that same experience. And he wrote to this church in Corinth, this is the second letter he wrote to them, about living up to their calling. You know, each one of us, when we go, here, go from here out into the world, the world tries to conform you. And by the grace of God, we come back in here, we look into his word, we hear from God, and we get our mind washed and renewed to thinking, whoa, I have a high calling. Have I been walking by faith in his word? You know, you're created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. Now, only the word of God can really get in there and discern between soul and spirit, but I'm here to tell you, in your soul is your personality. In your spirit is your ability to communicate with a holy, righteous God. I think even animals have a little bit of a soul. They have personalities, but they can't, they can't have a two-way communication with God. I think God gives them instincts, and he can make <laughs> a donkey talk, and he can lead animals into the ark, but you are created, not animals, in the image of God. And you have been given, if your spirit is not dead, if it's been given the life that it needs to have a relationship with God, you can communicate with God. Together we can corporately pray and individually we can pray. I was reading Psalm 119 and it's amazing. The writer often in the Psalms talks to God and he gives God credit for the, the good things that he has in his life, the protection he has the discernment, the wisdom. And, and, and he thanks God for his laws. He's talking to God. Now, God knows all of these things, but he's saying, thank you, God. And he's, he's contrasting what the wicked have versus him, and he's giving God the praise for that. Even the fear of the Lord is a blessing to fear, to come to respect and honor and obey the almighty, super-powerful, righteous God that we serve. When I was early saved, I was what you might call a zealot. And I had no fear of unbelievers. I would go out in the street, go out on a college campus, and I would hold my Bible up and I would tell them, you're all going to hell if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. And I would do it for hours. And I would walk into the, the University of Texas campus and I'd see on the library, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, carved in the building. And I would go, that's right out of the Bible. But they think that's the knowledge in that library. That's the person of Jesus Christ. I am the truth, the life. And no man comes to the Father. They've left that out. You know the truth when you know Jesus Christ. Any other information is questionable as to whether it's true or not. But if you know Jesus Christ, there is nothing truer than knowing him. 
And through him, you can know what's, what's true and what's false. Well, the Apostle Paul writes to this church to tell them their calling and tell them their ministry. You guys have a ministry. There's no question about it. He doesn't say, you know, if you live in Corinth, this is your ministry. This is clearly written that all generations of of Christians until the Lord comes back will know what their ministry is. Uh, Starting in verse uh, 17, if therefore anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled, key word, us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, whenever there's a therefore, it looks back to what he just said, and then it moves forward. We, you, and I are ambassadors for Christ. As, as though God were pleading through us, we employ you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't really know where exactly to begin to illuminate that passage, but one way is to look up the word reconciliation, to be reconciled. It's to take something opposed and now make it unopposed. Let me see if I can look up. Um, in, In other words, render it no longer in opposition. To win someone that was the enemy over to being your friend is the second aspect. To bring someone who is in disagreement into agreement. To harmonize. Somebody that was in conflict now is in harmony with you. To make something compatible and consistent. And of course, reconciliation is merely the ability um, or the act of being reconciled. So God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Now, he's done all the real work, but we can be ambassadors or representatives, as as Andrew said earlier, of him in this world. I wasn't necessarily being the best ambassador when I'm out telling people, If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. But I wasn't the worst either. 
Because remember what I said? They needed the fear of God. They needed to know our God in his word says that you shouldn't even fear somebody that can only take your life. Jesus said this. And then after that, there's not much more they can do to you. They might burn your body. They might chop you up, put you in the freezer. All that sounds really bad, but after you're dead, who cares? But what if you were powerful enough to come along and take that body and make it fit for hell? Put your spirit back in it and put you in hell. The devil can't do that. No demon can do that. There is a person, the Bible says, can do that and will do that at judgment day. That's the one Jesus says you should what? Fear. Fear. It's a God-giving thing, amazing grace says. The grace that first taught my heart to fear you. Now, I'll admit, I found out later on, the more I studied the Bible, the more I found verses like the Apostle John writes in his letter, God is love. Now, I personally liked the verse in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. And buddy, could I say that? Uh, under a microphone, I'm not going to hurt your eardrum. But I yelled that out with real emphasis and meaning. The sun itself burning with nuclear explosions pales in comparison to our God. They've recently discovered even more thousands of galaxies of stars than they first thought. The Hubble telescope just keeps taking thousands of pictures of what they used to think was a star, and now they blow it up. Oh, that's a whole other galaxy. And there are stars out there that make our little sun kind of look like it's a half pint. Thank God it's not one of those big suns, or in nine minutes the light from it would fry this place. The light we're getting right now is nine minutes old. It came from our sun, and if you stand out there on a summer day, it's plenty enough. <laughs> Add a little mobile humidity, and it's too much for me at 64. But God has, is, is, has no problem living up to the verse that declares our God is a consuming fire, but I learned he is love. And I didn't know really a lot about love. It was kind of a misconstrued word in my understanding. But I learned the biblical version of love is not so much touchy-feely, although you can sense it when it's real. It's, it's action. It's selfless action. It's washing the disciples' dirty feet instead of saying, uh, I'd like to sit on the right hand or the left hand when you get in, in the glory. We, we studied that last week or so with Sid, where John and, and, and um, James, the, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, hey, hey we've got this one request. Uh, they, they even go so far in, one, in, in Luke, I think, to say, um, 
we got this wish we want you to grant. He, they even want Jesus to, like a genie, tell him, well, I'll grant your request before he's even heard it. But Jesus sidesteps that and says, what is it you guys want? He doesn't say, sure, guys, what you got? Because he knows their hearts. He knows what they're asking. They couldn't handle if he gave it to them. And, and so he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you willing to be baptized with the same baptism I've been, you know, with death and, and everybody, the, all the devil has to throw against you? Even if you were, even if you are, even if you do, that's not mine to give. That's the Father's. And, and, and by the way, the way you get that is not by asking. It's by doing. It's by serving. The servant of you all is going to be the one the Father puts there. Our God is into exalting the humble and What's the word? Um, humbling the, the exalted. Those who are proud, he abases. And again, I said earlier, he's the greatest example of humility. One time I was in a Bible class and, and, and the teacher said, I want you to, each one of you, take a minute. Some of you have heard me say this before. And think about the thing that you, that you appreciate the most about God. That's almost the most amazing thing. And people wrote all kinds of really good stuff. You know, God is, as I said, love. Uh, God heals. God delivers. God blesses. Um, God gives. Uh, I'm sure you, you guys could come up with a really good list. And the more I thought, the most amazing thing was that God is humble. I don't know how he does it. If you had that much power and that much wisdom and had done as much as he does from the least little amoeba to the greatest creature ever and, and the galaxies that go on into infinity that he holds all of those atoms and molecules together and will release them one day, you got angels telling you how great you are all the time. Anything you want to do, you can do it. But you instead amaze those angels by humbling yourself and going down there and putting up with the worst that mankind can dish out. He became, this, this passage right here says, he became sin. Not, he, didn't, he didn't ever become a sinner. Even He obeyed God even when God's saying, go get on that cross and die. Jesus said, if possible, I'd like that cup to go on by. Nevertheless, thy will be done. In that cup was all the disobedience, all the rebellion in the hearts and practices of all mankind, not the devils. He didn't die for Satan and the fallen angels. He died for you. He drank that cup. 
He did the will of God, even to the point of dying on that cross. And that is the ministry that has been given to you. That's the gospel that someone believes or rejects. That's the amazing power of the word of God. We walk by faith, people. We, we hear that. You don't see that. We did not see Jesus dying on the cross. We did not see the darkness. We did not see all of those. We read about it and we hear the good news. And we either believe, we receive it, and are transformed. And then we're, give, we're, we're not sent off on our own, do our own thing the rest of our life. We're enlisted into the ministry into a body of believers. Again, not all alone. United together with gifted believers. All alleged to the one true Savior. Not a bunch of saviors. The one true Savior. And he then says, go out and give that ministry of reconciliation to others. Your gift may be praying for missionaries, faithfully praying for a missionary to go to a country and do the work of the ministry of reconciliation. You may have uh, uh, the ability to give and meet their needs as well as pray for them. There's a, there's a, a, a myriad of, of ways little ways you can do the work of the ministry of reconciliation. It starts in your heart, and then it works outward. Loving the unlovable for Christ's sake. It sounds, those are just words, but I'm telling you, when you, get, when you meet somebody unlovable, you know, they're just, they give you the creeps. If you'll love that person, you're doing the work of the ministry. You're reconciling the seemingly unreconcilable by living the gospel for their sake and looking for the opportunity to pray that their eyes will be opened and that the word of God can be shared with them so their ears can put, put uh, faith to the right thing. You know, the, the Bible talks about the right kind of faith and the wrong kind of faith. Faith in false gods, the Old and the New Testament make clear, is a waste. Faith in the word of the true God has promises that go all the way from this life on through into the life to come. Uh, I kept from ranting and raving this morning. Um, just felt like I can just encourage y'all with the ministry that, that God has given you, that the great apostle Paul penned to this kind of crazy church. If you really get to study in the Corinthians, they were not the elite. They were a bunch of the worst Gentiles ever saved, and they had a lot of problems, and they misused a lot of spiritual gifts that God gave them. But God didn't give up on them. He gave them, he, he called them his ambassadors. And that's what we're called to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak your word to your people. 
And um, we do need you to help us to go from here and do the work of the ministry. We thank you for the songs we sang and the truth that is in them. And we do want to, with the angels, say it is all about you and what you're doing and what you're going to do. And we ask you to, to um, help us to do it in Christ's name. Amen.